Hello and welcome back to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. This will be episode 28 and it will be another installment, one of the final installments of What Do Men Think, that series, before I move on to another series. Um, Sitting across the table from me today is a gentleman who will be known as Rob Harley. Rob, welcome to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. Rob Harley. Sounds like Bob Marley, but it's not. It does. How old are you, Bob? Or Rob? Now you got me doing it. Upper 40s, and I don't want to talk about my next birthday. Oh, okay. You're that close. Uh, are you married, divorced? 25 years, 10 months, and three days. Married? Not that I'm counting. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you have any kids? Three biological. Okay. And one who uh, was married in back in October. Okay. How old, like what age ranges do you have? 25 to 19. 25? So 25, 24. I'm counting all four. No. 25, 24. Uh, 20, 21, and 19. Okay, so you got them over the hump. Over the hump, all young adults. That is fantastic. And it's wonderful being the daddy of young adults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice change from kids. Yeah. Uh, what's a general summary of your line of work, Rob? Work with some people. Well, you work with some people. Yep. We're going to leave it at that for right now. Um, do you have any involvement in the community? If you don't, that's totally fine. But anything outside of your work? Pretty much work takes my time. Okay. Yeah. That's fair enough. All right, Rob Harley, if you were to grab a handful of the issues faced by men in our culture today, issues that stand out a bit from others, which ones would they be? And why do these issues stand out to you? I want to zero in on one issue, I think. That is, we are hurried. We live at breakneck paces. We are busy. We are strung out like an unmade bed. Everybody is tired, and it has become chronic. I agree with you. I noticed, just for instance, yesterday, four lane here where we live, there was a wreck. Uh, Traffic was in the right-hand lane. Police had the left-hand lane blocked. Police uh, pulled in to block both lanes, and so all traffic had to stop. Most folks were in the right-hand lane. A wrecker came around to to get the car that had been damaged, and a guy, I assume a guy, in a truck, came flying up the left-hand lane in a hurry. Yes. And I started looking in my rearview mirror, and I just saw more and more people in the left-hand lane just in this panic of anxiety. Oh, wow. Um, You've noticed in Uh in our community just the driving speeds. Here, uh, people blow through stop signs. Uh, we don't stop. Uh, I was thinking about uh, I just you and I coming today. Yes. Of uh, we're getting close to that to our appointed time, and the anxiety that we probably both felt in getting here to to be here on time to respect one another. Sure. We're in a hurry. Oh yes. You know, and so when we're in a hurry, it it damages our relationships with others. Think about trying to get the kids out the door. Oh, yeah. To the and bus. That, yeah. And that's something we had just mentioned just before I kicked the mic on, yeah. is that it's been chaos since the, the moment I woke up this morning. And even getting the door out, the kids out the door while the bus driver patiently waited for far longer than she should have to scoop my kids up. So, so we're, we're in a hurry. We're, we, it breaks relationships because we get mean when <laughs> we're, we're, we're in a hurry. Uh, and so, I, 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 and that's been something that's been on my heart for a couple of years is just this hurried sense that we have in society as well as men that we always have to feel we have to accomplish and be busy. And I felt 
just a few months ago, it might have been just a few weeks ago, that I don't know how to rest. So the opposite of hurry may be, may be rest. And I have a hard time resting. I have a hard, my, my wife will tell me, sit down. And sometimes I can't. You just can't? I just want to do. And so it just adds to, to anxiety. So do you get, I mean, like, do you struggle with anxiety some? When I'm in a hurry. When you're in a hurry. Yeah. And so for a few years, I've just been trying to, to you know, be cautious. And and sometimes you have to leave earlier so you're not in a hurry. Sure. Uh, and order your life in a way that so you won't be in a hurry. But but not not being so driven that I have to always be panicked. Because hurry can create panic. And we don't do healthy things when we're in panic. Sure. And then you, it's like you shift into some kind of emotional state and that's where you get people. They're so mad on the road. They're in the grocery store, you know, Oh, you nearly bumped me with my shop with your shopping cart, you know, and then it's ready for a throwdown over something of absolutely no consequence whatsoever that normally wouldn't, if people weren't. Somebody cuts you off and you get your, your, or, or the person in front of you let somebody out. Uh-huh. In, in, in the lane and you're mad at that person in front of you for being kind. Yeah. And it's, it's so weird. And I catch myself doing it all, you know, like sometimes I want to just mash the gas. Like, I'm just going to push you into the ditch because you're being rude to everybody. Right. And I'm like, who is that? Like, this isn't me. And sometimes people just tell you you're number one. Yes. <laughs> yes. A lot of number ones out there. All right. So you've got people being in a hurry. What about any other issues that you can think of that men, in general, you're around a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know how many men you speak with on a one-on-one basis necessarily, because you do have sort of group responsibilities. Right, right. I think the, I think the pressure of society, particularly men who are fathers. The, the pressure of society for your children to be involved in everything. <laughs> it's not enough that, 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 and I just look at schedules. I know families who their, ch- their children's calendars are busier than, or as busy as their, their calendars. And so we have families who are over-programmed their, their, their kids. This has been years ago. There's a, a group of, of, of youth and they were just playing pickup football. And I remember a dad saying to me, and this has been this has been years ago. He said, I bet this group of kids have ne- this is one of the few times that this group of kids have just had free play because they've been so scheduled in their life. Whether you're taking your daughter to dance or you've got music lessons or it's a sports practice and and, and it's just one thing after another, night after night after night. And just like this table we're sitting at. Families aren't spending that quality time together, and if they are, they've we've got these devices now oh, yeah. that we that we look at, and we're not interacting with one another. Uh, and so some of that just it just snowballs itself into this place where society is in this anxiety. I think. Yeah, are you any more attached to your family than you are to the person that you you pass in the grocery store half the time? Right. And that damages relationships. We, we, we are more connected than we ever are, but our relationship relationship quality, I think, has diminished tremendously. You, what you just said parallels very close with the man that I interviewed last night. Mm-hmm. So he'll be you'll be a week after him on the podcast, 
And he reflected, he lamented that with all the time-saving devices, we've never used that as a time to stop and connect with each other. Right. We just fill it with something else. And so every time-saving device only divides us to a greater extent. It's been a week and three days that I took all all social media off my phone. Oh, that's awesome. And and what what I kind of felt was I was addicted yes. to it. And for whatever reason, I, w- I would find myself just in passing moments going to social media to look and look for what I'm tr- still trying to still trying to figure that out. What what is it that I was gaining from social media? And and I just had this vision of uh, I was addicted to it like a heroin addict who needs the next sh- the, the next shot of uh, dope of, of heroin. And I, I just I, I'm I'm sometimes one of those all or nothing, and so it was time to be nothing. Okay. And I get it off my phone because I, I tried to set limits and, you know, move the app around on my phone and all that stuff. And I would just, you know, I just go to it. And, yeah, and so I was, I'm, I'm done. So last Tuesday, 1145 a.m., I uh, took them all off. So 10 days ago. 10 days ago. Yeah. And so what has that been like? Because this is something that's near and dear to me is I don't, I am not a, I don't enjoy technology. I don't have, like, there's no TV behind me. Here in my house, and I have stayed away from TV since '88. And not to make a statement, one day I just decided I didn't want to watch TV anymore, and mm-hmm. I just stopped that day. And I haven't missed a single thing in the 35 years or whatever that's been. So when you quit, because I, I'm watching it, I definitely see it. It seems to resonate exceedingly strongly with females. That constant feedback loop, but in man, I'm watching it to where. Now, probably with the hurry, the stress load of trying to be a father in this culture, more and more men, it's like they can check out and just stare at something. And they don't even know what they're staring at half the time. So when you deleted all that, what was it like? Like in the first day or two? Oh, I'd find myself reaching my pocket to to go. Just instinctively. Instinctively. Reached in my pocket and, and I was like, oh, I don't have that on here now. It's been one minute since I checked to see if there was something. Right, right. And, and for me, it, it was social media was a place for me to exhibit humor yes. and to get people to laugh. And so I have to ask myself, why is it that I need people to laugh at what I say and what I post? So that's a little bit of self-reflection. And the other part of that is some social media, like, like for, for instance, Facebook, I was in a lot of groups of just hobby stuff. And I love just seeing what people. Uh, I, I was on some uh, some ultralight backpacking gear. Yes. And since since, since we, we share that in, in common, and back when I did yes. it, 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 the 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 gear has changed so much oh, that I'm now looking at this carbon fiber stuff, and and I just want to learn about it. Not that I'll ever buy a six hundred dollar tent, but I just want to learn about it. And so just reading people's experiences and reviews, and and hey, what's your backpacking list? And you know, it's just still part of who who I am, it was just kind of hobby. And so I would, I was filling time with, with hobby interest as well as uh, sometimes it's, you know, seeing what my buddies are up to or what friends are up to. Um, I've tried not to spend too much time on, on the stuff. I mean, just anxiety. Uh, But, but what I also noticed in, in social media that it, it doesn't matter what group you're a part of. There are jerks. In, every, in, my, in my profession, if I go to my profession, 
uh, groups, there are jerks. Yes. If I go to uh, if I go to the backpacking group, there are jerks. If I go to cycling, <laughs> there's jerks. You know, and so uh, I feel not being around the jerks on social media. I think has helped me. <laughs> okay. So yeah. it hasn't destroyed your life to be away from it? No. And actually my wife is happy that I'm paying more attention to her. Does she tend to stay away from it? No, she's, she's still on okay. social media. Uh, but I were, we were at a restaurant last night and I didn't look at my phone. And how long has it been since she and I sat at a restaurant and I didn't look at my phone. Was that a startling moment, like to sit there and look at that and think about that for just a minute? Kind of. Not just last night, but previous meals that we've had together, which sure. is like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm free from that tether. Yeah, it's a powerful one. It's very different. I mean, I know we're very similar in age, so... Like, it, 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 you know, a magazine was it. You know, you had to wait for Popular Mechanics or some type of whatever magazine it was, woodworking, whatever. And you could read it, but you, I mean, you could binge on it and read the articles you really wanted to read, but then you had to wait another month. Right. So there was no way to feed a habit. Well, I never heard of anybody really getting addicted to reading. I read, I read, <laughs> I read, I read a newspaper yesterday Did for you? the first time. Yes. Yeah, the free one you could, we, you know, sure. it's a new, the new one in our area. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and read art, actually read read some articles in the newspaper yesterday. First time in forever. A while. A while, yeah. A long time. Yeah, hopefully that's an art that will return at some point. All right, so those are the those are the kind of the larger scale issues. What about in the last couple of years here in the US? Have you seen any shifts in people or our culture? And if you have, what are they? I think one of the we as humans, we've always gravitated to, to affinity groups, people who are like us. One, one way to think about it is tribalism. We want to hang out with people who, who are like us. And, and I think that's good because it, it, that's where you really, particularly around men, you can really develop some great friendships and depth of relationship around affinity, things you're interested in. But I think that that this tribalism idea has has become to an extreme and has been hurtful. As in, what side are you on? Politically, polit- particularly around polit- politics, yeah, politics. Uh, and, and some beliefs. Um, so, so we've started taking sides and, and, and regrouping in a way that is closing us off to, to others. We, we, we are eliminating others. We're cancel- canceling, canceling yes. each other. Um, and so uh, I, I see that as, as something that has, is helpful in our human nature that has become divisive. And I, some of that goes back to social media. And there's some, there's some evidence out there that outside of just who I'm friends with on social media, uh, the, the, com- the social media company itself manipulating and then uh, even outside countries manipulating stuff going on in in the U.S. and making us, I'll just use the word war, war with each other. Yeah. E- even if it's a, a war of words. Polarizing. Polarizing, yeah. yeah. So so I, I'm seeing that that is, that is, that is something that's happening in our, that has shifted and, and was it, I think it got worse during COVID, especially during the shutdown, because we we're just kind of isolated ourselves and then it, it ramped itself up, I think. I, I guess so. The social media would move into more 
an even more prominent place. I think so. Particularly during that early shutdown period, I think. It's interesting. And I've noticed, and I hadn't thought about it with social media, so I wonder if, is the cancel thing, I wonder if it, 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 this is just a rhetorical question, I wonder if it has any type of thing to do with if people are staring at social media, because I notice, like, I've never had social media stuff. I took a cell phone under protest Mm. for my job. I, I didn't even have a cell phone till I was uh, well north of 30. And I took that one under protest. It only sat in the console of my vehicle off. That was it, just to have it. But really, till I took this job seven years ago, I did not want a cell phone. I still don't want a cell phone. But I am required to have one. As people... If their world, their communication is social media sound bites, if they don't like that, they exit. And I'm wondering if that's where those parallel, if that's parallel to that, because like the reason I mentioned I've not had social media is because I haven't, and I haven't been a part of TV. I hear people talk about things, and I don't, I'm not ignorant of what's going on in the world, but. I have watched the erosion of people's ability to communicate face. To, I'm very much a face-to-face person. I love barging into somebody's business in their personal space and and being whatever it is that I need to be at that moment. And that used to be normal. And now as, as every year passes, it gets more and more awkward to where people, even some men in their 30s, late 30s, like it's awkward for them to have a conversation with me. And I just want to ask them, how did you make it this far in your life with no interaction? But enter social media. And if that's what you grow up with, and that is what forms your perception of how people communicate, that makes sense to me now. They'll look at their phone, but they won't look at you in the eyes. Correct. So 07 is when the iPhone first came out. Okay. 14 years ago. 14 years ago. And, and, some stuff I was reading that was kind of this huge shift. And this particular author I was reading said that was the biggest shift since 1440 when the Gutenberg press came out. One one of the things that we, we've been laughing for a couple of years in my household is about the sense of wonder. So you're, you're sitting in a conversation and you say, I wonder, and then just fill, fill in the blank. I, I wonder. And it used to be pre 07. You would just wonder. And you would, and in wondering, you discover and you seek to discover and you grow in your mind and your thinking. But now, since we have in our hands access to information, wondering, we stop wondering. I wonder, and and what's the first thing you do? You pick up your cell phone and you go to find an answer. And boom. And boom, there's the answer immediately. Yeah. And so the sense of wonder uh, and, and how we, how, I think I think how we think has changed, and maybe we're not thinking like we used to think, because we don't have to think because we have access to information immediately. Yes. So I'm just trying to. No, this is a very this myself. is a very yeah. insightful because I don't uh, social media. It, it's as far from my world as Afghanistan is right now. You know, I mean, in in my daily circle of life, but I have noticed in the nature of my my job that when I tried to ask somebody, I don't ever, I don't ever bust anybody's chops. I don't crack a whip. 
and I try to make every one of my guys, I'm, I try to make their day better by me having entered it, not worse. Right. And so I'm exceedingly gracious. I don't charge people for their screw ups. If they damage something, you know, unless it gets really costly, I don't even, they never see it. I just make it go away. But even with that, and people always tell me you're one of the most gracious project managers. It's why guys like to come to your job site because they're not attacked. But even at that, when I find them that they've jacked something up and I will go to them and I'm not being mean or anything. I just say, look, this is what we need to do to correct this. They will just cancel me right there or they try to. And I have to go get them and say, look, you don't, you don't have the option of just walking away from this. That isn't an option. If you walk away, you will never return to this line of work. So, but it hadn't really connected with me that so much social media is that way. Well, this stresses me out or I don't want to deal with this. So unfollow, unfriend. Yeah. Unfriend somebody. Right. Like, And that's really what it kind of, I, until right now I had not realized they're just unfriending me or they're trying to, I just won't let them. Right. You know, you, you're not going to unfriend me. I never thought of it from that perspective. So this has been insightful. And in a, in, in a face-to-face interpersonal relationship, that's all they, maybe that's all they know is just to walk away. It is, it, it, you know, and that's really the way it goes down usually. And then if they think that I've made a mistake or something like that, like, even if they think I have, I may have told them two weeks earlier, like, hey, I need you here on this date. This is what I need you to do. And this is your window to do it in. If they forget. And so they will read me the riot act when they get there and say, you never told me you suck at your job. You're terrible at this. This is all your fault. And I'm like, no, do me a favor. Open up your, open up your messages and scroll up about six messages. And then they're, then suddenly like, that's when they cancel me. Like they unfriend me and I'm, I'm not attacking you. I don't care. I, it, it makes no difference. The world will still be here. And I'm not even trying to bust you. I don't need you to say I totally screwed up. I, I already know that. You don't, you're not going to inform me of that. And it's a weird, they want me to continually extend grace. And if I ever call them on something, they unfriend me. Hmm. The, 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 this is For me personally, this has been insightful because I am outside of that world. Right. So I appreciate this very immensely. And maybe there's other guys out there who just stay away from television, uh, social media and stuff like that. And maybe I, I know, too. You're one of them. <laughs> maybe this has helped. Maybe this will help yeah. those misfits to understand things a little bit better. All right. So anything else over the last two years that you've that just kind of stands out to you? I wonder about. And, and you're living outside of this, but the 24-hour news cycle with news agencies who want to to make money so that to build their viewership, to get followers, and in the midst of that, there is indoctrination in a particular view. Absolutely. And, and I, I don't know, you, you, you remember back in the evening news, we received the news in the evening news, Walter Conkright. Yes. We receive the news, and now with the the, the twenty the the per, news personalities, they are in in doctoring us, and in, in a different word, discipling us in a way that I, I think is uh, is becoming dangerous for men. That we are being told what to think rather than how to think. 
Well, in, some, in some ways, yeah. does, that, does that make no, sense? No, it, it totally makes sense because I have noticed a pattern in men that uh, it's a, it's the sense I touched on this in my book. This sense of guilt for being a man, mm. just being born a man, right, should come with some sense of guilt. And I, it, it's just from work. men taught me what I know about men, it, it, and that is a lot of that stuff didn't exist till I started working with them, and I realized that the patterns. I could break it down into eight or ten or a dozen patterns, and it held true across men. Period. Mm. In gen- I mean, just in general, they were very specific and they were very predictable. And one of those ones was guilt. And I, and enough guys have explained to me, well, if you watch any type of media, anything, because people always talk about TV shows. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Is it just like another one where the guy's an, a simp and he's emasculated and he's an idiot, doesn't know which end of a screwdriver to hold? Right. You know, with the bold female leading everything and, you know, the disrespectful children to, you know, the d- disrespect of father. I'm like, is it just more of this stuff? And it sounds like it's just progressively gotten worse to where they write it at a kindergarten level, mm-hmm. almost like you're a caveman sitting in a cave that can only recognize you know, cave drawings while you eat crayons. And and I, I, I've noticed that sense of guilt in men and that... What, does it, mean about that, what the, does it mean to be a man? And how do we enter manhood? And one of the things I've, I've discovered is that sometimes we are taught what it means to be a man in the locker room, and that's inappropriate. The locker room talk is what, yeah. I'm, what I'm saying. And so, so we think, we grow up thinking that that's what it means to... To, to be to be a man it, it's the it's the notches on the bedroom on the bedpost yes. you know what I'm saying and and so I that's not a healthy vision of manhood I think there's a healthier option for manhood there, out there for sure oh there definitely is uh, and I deal with the aftermath of it I watch mm-hmm. you know bring a man through a storm and and I would say probably two-thirds of the time they return to the same vomit that they left. Once they're back up on their feet, and I'll warn them, I'll say, I'm not going to beat you over the head with this. But if you go down this road in a year or two, you're going to be right back at my door. We're going to be eating lunch. You're going to be in a group. And you will begin repeating exactly what you did when I met you three years ago. Mm -hmm. It will be exactly the same cycle. And at that point, I'm not empathetic. I'm telling you right now, if you drink this, it will poison you. Right. You got to get your stuff straight, figure out who you are and where you're going before you do this again. And I watch that cycle over and over and over to the point where eventually I just have to kind of push somebody outside the circle a little ways and say, when you get done with that, then we'll do something. But I don't invest my time in guys who don't make better choices. Initially, that's fine. But if this is the way you're going to continue, you can go be a train wreck somewhere else. I don't need to stress about it. Because I'm not going to invest the time in that. And the wonderful thing is there is power available to that man not to go down that path. Absolutely there is. Yeah. And they know better. Right. And they still do it anyway. And they do it over and over. And, I'm, you know, and I can confront them with it and ask them. And they'll say, no, this is probably so stupid. But as the time goes on, then they want to argue with me. Well, no, this isn't reckless. This isn't. I'm like, that's not what you said three months ago. Like, do you see the erosion taking place? This is, um, you are, the cycle is identified in front of you. If you want to know how to break that pattern in your life, 
it's right here. We can write it on paper. If you want to, if a flow chart with crayons connects with you better, we can make that. Right. But this is the pattern that you follow in your life. Just like I have goofy patterns of self-destruction or I shoot myself in the foot or sabotage my own potential. But I know what those are. And so I have to catch myself when I'm doing them. But anyway, that's that's sort of a rabbit chase right there. But So that's the last couple of years. All right, so let's move to this one because I think you probably have some meat for this one. So as you look back over your life, uh, were there any men who made a positive, a significantly positive impact or caused a positive course correction in your life? If yes, who were they and how did they impact your life in a positive way? When I was growing up in my household, I have two older sisters. Okay. They were in 4-H. And my parents said, pick 4-H or Boy Scouts. You're going to do one of the two. (laughs) They were in 4-H. I picked Boy Scouts. Okay. Boy Scout leaders, men who were not my dad, who loved me and taught me, uh, accepted me, highly, highly influential in my life. Well, that's great to hear. Yeah. Because there's probably some guys out there who have helped with Boy Scouts along the way, and we're probably never even told a thank you. Right. So to hear somebody say what you just said would be like, oh, it connected with somebody. Yeah. Church youth leaders, men and women, that, again, accepted you. How long were you in Boy Scouts? Yeah, I started Cub Scouts and made it all the way to Eagle. Okay, so you stayed for the duration, yeah, yeah. all the way through. Became an eagle just just about three months before my 18th birthday. That's the cutoff. It is barely made it. You made it. Through. My brother, who doesn't live too far from here, became eagle at 15. So he had a little more, little more adolescent life post eagle than I did. Wait, is he younger or older? Five years younger. He's five years younger. Yeah. Oh, so you still beat him. Yeah, I mean, you in, were still in, ahead of. I mean, he couldn't calendar time. He couldn't rub that in. No, no, you'd no, already no, gotten no. there. Yeah. Okay, I was just yeah. curious. I was thinking of the scenario of two brothers talking smack with each other. So, Boy Scouts, um, you said youth leaders. Yeah, church, church youth leaders. Yeah. And, and what about anybody else? Yeah, when I was in in college, I worked at Campus Recreation. And the guys, two guys I worked with in Campus Rec, uh, David and Brian, tremendous, tremendous men who, um, Brian, Brian died, uh, was killed on his, on his bicycle. Okay. Went to his funeral. Every man that came, uh, every man that came thought Brian was his best friend. To see these guys show up at, at Brian's funeral and go, I thought Brian was my best friend. I thought Brian was my best friend. I thought we were best friends. Brian had best fr- so many best friends. He, he, just, he just loved and embraced and had relationships with so many guys uh, that just impactful, incredible. And you got to move through that orbit. Yeah, yeah. We shared an office together. Oh, you did? We, yes. We, we worked out together at noon. We swam laps together. We ran together. Uh, we bicycled together. Triathlon. We, we, he did his first triathlon. I thought he was a nut. The next year, I'm doing a triathlon. And, and there were about six other guys doing a triathlon together. Okay. In, in you know, university setting. And 
Yeah, just just an incredible dude. Yeah. So he kind of pushed you. I would guess he pushed you out of your comfort zone fairly regularly. He did. We 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 backpacked lots of miles together. We went into the depths of caves. Yes. Lots of caves together. Led an outdoor recreation, college outdoor recreation together. And that's where I met my wife was one of those backpacking <laughs> trips that Brian was on. Um, he, uh, uh, we were backpacking all day. We had set up camp. There was a waterfall not far. We decided to go to that waterfall. And so my, my wife at the, uh, uh on that trip, my wife now, she wasn't wife then, had an interest in me and he, he noticed it before I did. And so she went with us on this little, uh, blue blaze trip to okay. the, to the, uh, waterfall. And he picks up a stick. He goes, Hey, give this to her. <laughs> so I gave her the walking stick. So she thought that I gave her the walking stick, but I was prompted by Brian to give her sure. the walking stick. And so that just impressed her, you know? And so, well, we started dating and so we got engaged and Brian was uh, at, at my wedding and we're at the, <laughs> we're, we're at the rehearsal dinner and we're telling stories and all this. And, and she starts talking about how we met and on this on this blue glaze hike and how I gave her this walking stick and I came clean. I came clean and said, Brian gave it to me to give to you. Yeah, Brian noticed. <laughs> Brian noticed. Brian noticed. And intervened. And intervened. Yeah. And now that's twenty five years later. Twenty five years, ten months. Ten months, three days. Three days. Yeah. Yeah. We're been married. Yeah. Uh the other guy I worked with in Camp Rec, uh, his name is David. Uh, he was he was the um, the head campus rec guy and just yeah just I didn't I didn't work out with David but just those two guys I did I did some summer work at a summer camp during college and Don uh, was the the camp director and Don Don just an incredible dude I, I would not be in the profession I'm in had it not been for Don. It's amazing how and maybe that's a different conversation, another podcast. But, sure, yeah, but, and um, we'll, we'll yeah. unpack some of that stuff. Yeah. When you're when, when you are when you're repairing a sewer line at a summer camp together, <laughs> you bond. You definitely bond. Yeah, you bond. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a yeah. tragic job. And, and we we he he raised his kids during those summers. His kids he lived he lived on the camp. Uh, summer staff lived on the camp. His his son, who was an infant that first summer, uh, he took his first steps toward me. You know, so just this, and he had two two daughters who were uh, who were twins, and uh, just this. I don't know uh, that that would be how Don lived his life, and in, in order for me to be in the profession I'm, I'm in, would be a would be a. And that's that really cool topic. to think about. Just two guys you worked with at the rec thing. Yeah. Just worked with them. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's, I'm assuming, was, was Brian older than you? Was he similar in age? He was probably four to five years older than me. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So not tremendously older, but and when you're in college, he's, he's, he's an old dude. When you get out of college, you're the same age. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. There's another group of guys, men in my life, that uh, we call ourselves a band. We don't play music, uh, but we've banded together. Uh, these are six guys who we share the same profession, and we we text each other, support each other. We do two retreats a year, so we go off um, to a, to a cabin, 
we uh, sit around the campfire, we laugh. Um, there might be some bourbon involved or a beer. Uh, we, we, and then we have this time where, where we just take turns sharing what's going on. And we can ask each other any question, and you have to answer it. Oh, yeah. Kind of, kind of relationship. Uh, and we've been doing that since probably 2014, two retreats a year. And, and we're, I'm tight with those guys. I would, I would I'm suspect tight. so. I'm tight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to make old friends like that. Yeah. And, and it's the kind of relationship of in the middle of the night, if you get a text, I need you to pray. Or it hadn't happened yet, but it could. I need you here. We're, we're there. You bet. We drop it, you know. Um, and there's a lot of guys who, who, who live in isolation, and they don't have that kind of relationship with anybody, nobody. And that hurts me. Yeah, and that is powerful. And I, I, you know, if you put a man around other men that he trusts, that man can weather any storm. Yeah. And and this is for the Christian side of you who are listening, all three of you. You know, I do think Satan, Satan knows that. And so when he sees a man buttressing his own life with other men whom he trusts, and would be happy to climb onto a battlefield with him. You can't destroy that man anymore. Right. Or you, it, it takes so much work because those guys are going to pick him back up and say, uh-uh, we're all standing here, man. We're right. all together. Yeah. And that is a very strong cord. On the Serengeti, the lions run into the herd and they isolate and they pick off. That's, that's, that's what happens to men. We, we get isolated and we get picked off. Yeah, solo target. Yeah. With nobody else. Yeah, because even right. even the most tame of animals, if there's 50 of them standing together, heck, you take a cow. I mean, a cow that can't hardly navigate the ground. And by itself, it's as docile as a kitten. Right. And you can follow, it'll follow you around or whatever. But if you take 30 of them, and you put them all together in one spot, and they feel like they are protecting something. It's as dangerous as being around a bear, right? I mean, they will—they will absolutely stalk you down. They will chase you until they've caught you. I mean, I've been chased by herds of them before, trying to blow through fields and stuff. But, but that is—it's it, the same. So, if it works for cows, it should definitely work for us. And that because it—if you're surrounded, you got your group of seven. Yeah. And that makes you a force to be reckoned with. All, all seven of you, by association. Seven, because that's how many fits in a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> You'll need two minivans or maybe an armada if you're right, going right, right. to step up. All right. Has there ever been a time in your life when you allowed yourself to become isolated? If there was, what caused you to isolate yourself? And then how did you get back out of that isolation? I read that question and I, my mind went back to my early college years. And this is, this is unheard of now. I mean, it's not unheard of, but it's rare, very rare. My parents took me to, uh, to college and dropped me off with no vehicle. It was the weekend before the Labor Day. The college I went to, suitcase college anyway. Labor Day weekend, everybody's gone except for a few international students and some on the tennis team. 
dude, I was isolated. Uh, not not really having having a vehicle. Um, and, and and a little bit will go into the next question too, but just that that sense of just being alone. It was a new one. New one, yeah, it was new for me. Yeah, and I, I didn't know I didn't know what to do. It was very quiet. Very quiet. I didn't have confidence in myself to do anything, but being alone. Yeah, when it's on a break, yeah. a college campus is very quiet. Yeah, it's like yeah. a ghost town. It's like everybody was sucked away. And part of that too, this is kind of interesting because I, I shared these questions with my wife. We were talking about it, and um, I remember the restaurant in the town when I went in by myself and sat at the table <laughs> and ate my first restaurant by my and it, first first time I sat in a restaurant and ate in a restaurant by myself. I was married and had had we had a first kid. That's how old I was. Oh wow! Yeah, and so. Well, obviously, at some point, people showed back up to the campus. School kicked in. And so you weren't quite so isolated anymore. Have you ever found yourself? You've got a, you've got a pretty good head on your shoulders. Like you were your parents sent you out the door with some sense, you know, or awareness. I, I would say awareness. Probably you're a very aware guy. So you may not have found yourself. The gentleman I, I interviewed last night, he was really racking his brain to think of a time where he dove into isolation. And I think his parents raised, gave him something or taught him better without him knowing it, that isolation could be very dangerous for him. So not to pursue it. What got me out of that beginning stages of that is, is throughout middle school and high school, I was, I was, I was not athletic enough to be a part of a team and I was small I didn't grow until I got into my college years and height, you know. Yes. And so I was a manager. And so starting in seventh grade, I managed basketball and then got into football managing, equipment managing, <laughs> and then did that in high school all but my senior year. So I came to came to college and met the baseball coach at this college I went to and became the baseball manager and being a part of the team and being treated well by the by the team by the players got me out of that isolation. I wasn't, I wasn't a sideline manager I w- and I wasn't ever mistreated, but it could, I know some managers get mistreated by the, by the players. I was accepted as a vital part of the team. That's awesome. And even today, just a few, a few last month, that baseball team had a reunion and I make sure I go to that reunion and I've never gone to a high school reunion. But that one matters. That one matters. The depth of relationship then and even now. Even now we're we in that group where we have a depth of relationship that is that is uh, not quite the band, uh, the group sure. of other guys, uh, but it's close. And some of those some of those guys that I see at the reunion, I weren't even on the team at the same time. Really? Yeah. But they like that connection. Like there is a strong connection there. Strong connection. They got passed down or was in advance. And, and it's mostly not the school. It was the coach. The coach. Who, who I would, I should have put him in that, in the previous question. It's ironic yeah. how so much about men falls back to other men being in their lives. Yeah. Like it's kind of like that's where the storm begins. We, we rub, we rub each other and we rub off each other, good and bad. 
And, and if man, good man can rub off on, on, on other men, good traits, we, we can make each other better. We absolutely can. Yeah. Absolutely. What's, what, what's the word iron sharpens iron? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so true. So if you're out there listening and you don't have any, any other men around you, if, if you want to guess what I would say is a key thing to put toward the top of your priority list, start moving in that direction. Because if you haven't picked it up by now from the men who have sat at this table and done interviews, listen in their voice to how important connections to other men is. It doesn't have to be your father. It doesn't have to be your brother. It needs to be somebody. And it needs to be a man. If you're a man, you need men in your life. It can't all be women. It needs to be some men. So I would put that on my short list. And then maybe if you can change that, you might start seeing where to go from there. But that is going to be a critical aspect of changing the way things have been for you. All right, well, let's shift. Are you ready? Can we do the last question? Or you yeah, got anything else? Let me, else? Let me share one more thing. Absolutely. Where I live, I met a new man okay. uh, this past week, and he, he's walking his dogs. Okay. They're small dogs. I have a, a medium-sized dog. She's pretty big. She's pretty big, yeah, uh, 60 pounds or so. And I, I met this, this guy, and I, and I just had this thought, I wonder if he's alone. And then I thought, okay, I've got to, I've got to build a relationship with him to find, you know. And, and so it, it, I think for guys, it's as easy as saying, saying, hey, you want to grab a bite to eat? Hey, you got, you know, um, uh, de- depending on just your context, I'm, I'm not ashamed of just saying, hey, let's go grab a beer. Yeah. Uh, or, or whatever, you know, hey, um, I want to hear your story. And I'm still trying to learn how to, how to in, you know, enter into somebody's sphere as you're saying, how do you do that without being weird? Um, so, so just whoever's listening, I would say don't, if, if you, if, if you feel, Hey, here's a guy I might connect with, just go say, Hey, let's go have Absolutely. a beer. Let's catch a game. Yeah, let's, let's do, you know, just whatever. Hey, I, I'm running to, uh, I'm running to the nursery. You want to run with me, you know, or, or, or maybe even this is better. Can you help me? I need help. Can you help me? I need somebody to listen. Or, or not even that, but just saying, Hey, I'm, I'm, I've got I've got this task that needs to be done. Could you help me do this task? And most men will jump at the chance to help somebody. They do. And, and it's in the midst of that doing that task together that you can relate to one another. Oh, yeah. I, I've seen it happen with shooting. You know, hey, oh, you're a shooter. Let's go. Let's go shoot. And, that, and, it's, and so you have, again, that's kind of affinity. And the walls just come down. Yes. It's like somebody just turned a light switch off. There's no wall there. It's a, it really takes so little for men and men are good at sizing each other up. It doesn't take, it doesn't take long at all. Like we can size, we can size each other up really quick without even saying a whole lot. Just sort of being around men. You say, okay, that's that. I, I need to hang out with that dude. Right. Like, like this is a good guy. Like I need to, or there's something that I can bring into his life. He can bring it into mine. And and men work same with boys. You know, when they're working alongside each other, that's where you really start to see the growth. When I did wildland firefighting, you know, I did eight years of that. You could not pry the people, even if they couldn't stand each other when we started a crew. 
by the end of the season, they were inseparable. Mm -hmm. Everybody was inseparable because they had stood next to each other in places where it, it could go south at any minute. Women can sit around a table or, or on a couch and have tea and have conversations. Yes. Guys, we need a task. And in the midst of doing that task, we can have depth of conversation in the midst of that. Yeah. And that would you like to go get a beer thing is kind of an exception to that. Like That's for most men. That's our very disarming. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty neutral statement or question to ask a man. Hey, do you want to go get a beer? But most guys would think, okay. I mean, most guys would say, sure. Right. I'll meet you there because I don't know if you're a sociopath, but right. But yeah, we could just hang out and catch the game, catch the game a little yeah. bit, chew some peanuts, drink a beer, swap a few words now and then, right? And then it's it, it begins. It's not complicated, gentlemen. If you're sitting out there alone, it is not complicated. The fear of it is far greater than the reality of the difficulty. All right, last question. All right, so let's say I, I've read this question so many times I don't even want to read it anymore. But let's say we can get your 18-year-old version of Rob Harley to sit down at this table. You're 18 years old. You're a little freaked out because now you're looking at an older version of yourself. Not sure what to make of it. Anyway, I snap my finger, and your 18-year-old has to sit here and listen to what you have to say. So what would you say to your 18-year-old version, 18-year-old self? Be confident. Walk with confidence. Be comfortable with who you are. Buy a good bicycle. Buy a good bicycle. Did you buy junkie bicycles? Well, just buy a bicycle and ride. I'm 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 a cyclist. Yes, that's my that's my main form of exercise. Um, when the weather when the weather's good and time allows, and I enjoy it so much. I wish I'd have done it earlier. And just going back to those early days of isolation, get outside. Get outside and and I'd also buy a good bicycle and ride, but also just go backpacking by yourself. For some reason, I didn't want to do that by myself. A lot of people don't do it by yourself. Go just go ahead and do it by. So be comfortable with yourself that you can do some of those things by by yourself. I watch way too much TV. Do you during, during those times? Oh, during those years. During those years, and I would say turn off the TV, ride the bicycle, go backpacking, find find. Find some hobbies that get would get me outside of the dorm room, and, and then I think the final thing would be, I, I was I did not like to read as as a kid, and it wasn't until I had graduated college and looked toward going to get my master's that I decided I needed to become a reader, or I'm not going to make it through this next level of education. It, yeah, that's a solid one. Find find a a a a type of book that you like, that you would enjoy. And so looking at my 18th, I'd say, go get some Lula Moore books and read and read and just enjoy the adventure and read for the sake of reading. That's good. I've not, nobody said that before. Hmm. That's it. But that's a really good, I guess I've loved to read all my life. No, I didn't. I hated it when I was young. Probably. I liked it before you did, but, but. Uh, and now I have this mantra that, you need to always have a book you're reading. Always. Well, and it, it's such a different... I make my... Well, my daughter, she's an avid reader anyway. My son, my, my oldest used to be. But then when... I, but I've watched electronics walk in and and I've, I've told him, I said, you know, you're such a well-spoken 15-year-old with a very large vocabulary. 
but do you see it eroding? And it's because you don't read. There's nothing filling up that bucket. You're continuing to grow through school, but if you're not reading, you forget how you forget words. Like you forget how to form a sentence. You forget stuff. You don't get that by watching idiots on TikTok or Snapchat or whatever. You know, and that's not like all he does. He likes to watch a lot of how-to stuff because he's a dork and a nerd like his dad is. But you know, I said if you don't read, so he started reading again about a year ago. And I have noticed that shift when he starts reading. I tell him, like, this is when electronics go off and you're not going to want to go to bed, but read. And now he gets it, like, that it starts making a difference in your mind and he can fall asleep. And my daughter's always reading anyway, but there is tremendous value in that. And no, men don't read anymore. No. In large part, men don't. So get a book, something, and start reading and... Put it on the short list to go find other guys. Go start with one other guy. And, and I'll, say, I'll say this too with books: find a used book. Don't you know you don't have, you don't have to buy a new one. No. Go to the library. If you start reading and don't like it, take it back. If you buy a used book, it's cheap. Throw it away. You know. Yeah. So go ahead and invest in that and find a genre that you that you enjoy. Yeah, I, that's that's absolutely solid. Anything else? That you can think of. Thanks for inviting me. Oh no, this has been a pleasure. Yeah. This is this is about other men having other men to relate to. I want men to know they're not alone. That we're not as different as the isolation has made it appear. And we really could get along with just about any other other of our kind. Just about anybody. All right. Well, this will wrap up episode twenty-eight. I think is what I said. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But um, I do hope that wherever life finds you, that it turns out to be a good day and that you are kind to the people around you. Uh, go get a book. Go find some other guys to hang out with that are a positive influence in your life. Don't go look for people that are going to get you thrown in jail with them tonight. I would stay away from those for now. And uh, I will catch you on the next one. <laughs>